As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to an episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Piscalia. Thanks for hanging out with me for a little bit. The Bills just got back from Philadelphia. They're heading to their bye week, and oh, what a game it was. 37-34, to an overtime loss to the Eagles in a game that they probably should have won at a lot of different stages of the game. A game that has produced... A lot of reactions from fans, and rightfully so. A game that has produced a lot of opinions about the state of the team and where the Bills go from here. And certainly, it has created a lot of trepidation, not only in the fan base as to whether or not they can actually turn this thing around and get into the postseason, but also into, potentially, the locker room. With the way that it looked and sounded after the game, the Bills are painfully aware about where they are in terms of where their season is going, where it is right now, and having oh so little time to kind of turn things around. So this is, I don't normally do a live room episode uh, after the game, but I felt this sort of game, and dropping back to a 500 record after just a heartbreaker of a loss for the Bills, I figured the live room kind of elicited it. So by all means, get your questions in to to the Athletic app here and uh, just type them in and I'll rifle through as many as I can um, in this Next 40 or so minutes, Sean McDermott is set to talk to reporters at 4 p.m. And that's the last bit of media access that we'll have from them until next week, maybe Monday of next week, but who knows. So I will go through as many questions as I can. Um, if you're thinking, hey, Joe, your your voice may, may sounds a little bit off today. 
I'm currently getting over a cold, so if I cough or my voice kind of cracks a little bit, I apologize, but uh, we are trying to gut through it as uh, as the Bills are trying to figure out what to do with the rest of their season. Okay, let's get right into it, and uh, let's go to questions. Rajesh M. writes in, what's the current state of the relationship between McDermott and Terry Pagula? The current state of things is that we don't really know. The only bit of information that we have about Terry Pagula and his thoughts on Sean McDermott is the fact that they just extended McDermott's contract right before the start of the season. And it's a lengthy extension that goes through the start of the opening of their new stadium and even past that, which means, and I know this has been popular over the last two or three weeks now, it means the idea of moving on from McDermott is fine to think about in theory, but in actuality, I don't think it holds up all that much because there is the element of they just signed him to this huge deal and that would be eating a lot of money just to say, okay, we're going to move on in a different direction. That's also them turning their back on five out of six seasons making the playoffs under Sean McDermott. And he certainly has his faults and I think they have been well-recognized over the last two, three years, really since their their runs into the playoffs have gotten serious. But even through those flaws, the Bills have been remarkably successful. And before McDermott and Bean arrived in Buffalo, they were a ship with without rudders. They were just drifting, lost at sea, into the night, just going wherever the wind took them. Doug Marone? Sure. Rex Ryan? Why not? McDermott, who was first here, and then Bean, who came about a, a little bit after that, was just an overwhelming, uplifting presence to the entire building. And I think Pagula knows what it used to be like and knowing that he probably doesn't want it ever to get to that point again. So while it would probably feel really, um, I guess, satisfaction or satisfactory to move on from McDermott after this troublesome campaign where their expectations were a lot higher than what they delivered on so far this season. But then where does that leave the team? Because if you change the head coach, then you change... The offensive identity, you change the defensive identity, you're starting over a bit. Is there maybe a little bit of a boost in the following year? Sure. 
But is there any guarantee that the person you're bringing in is going to be able to do the job the way that Sean McDermott did? No. Could be much worse. And, and we have seen much worse in Buffalo. So I get why fans are upset with McDermott. And I get that his approval rating is at an all-time low. And, and some of his decisions in the past losses have been a little bit head-scratching. But unless something really changes here, I highly doubt that the Bills are going to move on from McDermott. Can things change? Sure. Five weeks is a long time. Six weeks, I should say, with with the addition of the bye week. A lot can happen a month and a half. Look, Ken Dorsey got fired. They go from being on top of the world, scoring basically every drive against the Dolphins, and then from the start of London through their loss to the Broncos, it was a month and a half. Ken Dorsey's out of a job. But Ken Dorsey's hold on his offensive coordinator job was a lot less uh, strong than McDermott's grasp on the head coaching job and what he has meant to the organization. So I think it would take a lot for McDermott to be moved on from within the organization. So the the answer to the question about their relationship, I don't know, but I do know that Pagula would probably side on the fact that this organization was in tatters before McDermott came around and they don't want to go back to that. So this might be a conversation before the conversation next year. Like if they start off slow next year, I think it's fair game. But after getting to the playoffs for four straight seasons, getting to the playoffs in his first year, and somehow getting six wins out of that horrific roster in 2018, I think they're going to give McDermott the benefit of the doubt this offseason. All right, next question comes from Mark, who writes, Do you think this year's Chargers and Commanders are a good example of where we might be in a year? Defensive stubborn coaches who changed their OC to try and save their job when you can argue they were a one-year scapegoat. I think you can view it into some similarities, Mark. I do think Staley out and out is a far worse head coach than Sean McDermott has ever been. I mean, they have never been able to get things right in the chart. Every time, every time you think the Chargers are about to turn the corner, and they're like, "Oh wow, this is this team! Look at look at all the talent they have on the team!" and then they wind up just out of the playoffs. To McDermott's credit, they have capitalized on regular season success year in and year out, outside of this year. So perhaps maybe this is a preview, like I said before, maybe this is a a conversation before a conversation in 2024 if the Bills were to start off slowly. And I don't necessarily believe Ken Dorsey was a scapegoat here. I think genuinely the offense needed a bit of a of a boost. They needed some sort of jolt because what they were doing and what they were getting despite you know, having some some good metrics on offense, they just lacked that overwhelming 
confidence, that overwhelming, uh, I guess, killer mentality to put the ball in the end zone. And they suffered for a lot of, of that offensive slump. Lots of turnovers, lots of failed drives, not enough points to win games that they should have won. This The Dorsey conversation was one that we had even halfway through. No, even before Dorsey's first season got started. What would Dorsey be like in this high-profile role when there really isn't any experience there? They were Super Bowl favorites last year. They were definitive division favorites. And they were within the top five or six teams in Super Bowl betting odds to begin the year. So it's not as though the expectations just completely dropped off here. So would Dorsey be able to live up to those things? And what we saw time in and time out was predictability. A lack of evolution. And the offense just never seemed to quite take that next step under Dorsey. and. That was a problem. So I get why you look at Dorsey as potentially a scapegoat, but of all the things that Sean McDermott has done wrong, I think maybe the switch to Joe Brady might have been one of the better ones that he's made because this offense over the last two weeks has looked brilliant. Josh Allen has looked like a completely different guy starting from the third drive against the Jets right through the end of the Eagles game. When there were multiple times throughout that Eagles game, I sat back and I'm like, I am watching 2021 Josh Allen right now. And maybe not that same emoting Allen where he's like so high energy and you can feel that, but from an on field, just back breaking play after play against against a defense that he was he was making against the Eagles. It was so reminiscent of what he had been in 2021 and early in the season in 2022. And I think Joe Brady probably has a pretty big hand in helping draw that out. Firing Dorsey probably has a pretty big hand in kind of jolting Allen and saying, okay, What's going on here is not good enough, and it needs to get better. So I I wouldn't call Dorsey a scapegoat, but I do think that the attention is shifting to Sean, and that was always going to happen. After Frazier went and and left the organization in the offseason, followed by the firing of Ken Dorsey, the only place to look now is at Sean McDermott, because He's the defensive coordinator. He's the head coach. They've got an interim OC. He knew well well enough that by doing that, that his potential shields were gone. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So, yes, while some of his game day decisions have been lackluster, to say the least. And he has questioned some of those game day decisions, even going to last night. I do think that potentially this is a conversation that we will be revisiting a lot in in 2024. All depends on how they respond, but they've got a lot of things potentially working against them. They've got some long-term injuries. They've got a lot of cap concerns. They have some questions they have to answer about guys they may need to move on from that maybe they didn't want to move on from to create cap space enough to have the uh, ability to add to their roster. They're going to lose some guys like Leonard Floyd. That dude's going to get paid. Might not be in Buffalo, but he's going to get paid. And he has been a huge piece to the Bills operation. So where they go from here is going to be very telling about that conversation that you're talking about, Mark, whether or not uh, we have it in 2024. All right. Ben writes in, uh, it, Joe, it seems Sean McDermott's decision-making is getting questioned heavily today. What do you make of James Cook's benching early in the first half? Now, the optics of this one is not great. James Cook, of course, we all saw it very clear as day, dropped a pass, probably walks in for a touchdown, and the Bills get on the board right then and there. Instead, he drops it, and for the next, for the rest of that drive, the entire following offensive drive after that And the first play into the next drive, James Cook was not on the field. It was Latavius Murray for 14 straight snaps, including penalties. Mind you, I count penalties when I I track snaps. The official book does not count penalties for what it's worth. That's why some of my numbers are a bit different. I don't know if if anyone is tracking those things, but um, that's why they might be a little bit different because I want to know who's on the field for penalties too. Anyway. And then after Murray's 14 snaps, Ty Johnson was on the field. It was even when they came out for that um, that second series after Cook had dropped the dropped the pass. Cook actually ran out onto the field during the TV timeout into the huddle, and they called him back to put Ty Johnson in the game for a snap. I, I definitely chortled <laughs> at, at that uh, because, like, okay, what are you, what are you doing to this guy? So here's how here's where I land on on the cook thing. I quite honestly believe it to be a really silly step by this coaching staff to actively make themselves worse on a play-to-play basis 
just to try in a in a game where their season is on the line and obviously they need all of the playmakers they can get to have him stand on the sidelines for 15 straight snaps for an entire drive just to kind of i don't know teach him a lesson remove him from the game so he can get himself back into a regulated state whatever the case may be by taking James Cook out and putting Latavius Murray or Ty Johnson in the game, they actively made themselves worse. They were less dynamic. They were more predictable. Anytime Latavius Murray got the ball, he was probably going to run right into somebody. I mean, Latavius Murray has been nice this year, but he really lacks the the overall juice that James Cook brings on a play-to-play. He doesn't have that same pass-catching element to it. Can he catch passes? Yes. But is he going to be that that player that can put them in a position where he wins on a route down the field and could bring it in for a touchdown like that? No, that's not Latavius Murray's game. It used to be, maybe not anymore. So to actively make themselves worse just to teach a lesson, I thought was a major misstep, especially when... Every play against the Eagles is so precious. They they lost one game the entire year. And the what makes it even more illogical is that so many of their other second through fourth year players have made mental errors like that. Gabe Davis has dropped a bunch of passes this year. Dalton Kincaid has even dropped some passes this year. Not seeing either of those two guys getting their snaps reduced to put in Quentin Morris or Trent Sherfield. So then what's the difference? Why is there why is there this one policy for one position group and not the same for the others when they commit similar mistakes? And the way that I think it comes down to for me is I'm not totally sure that it's a McDermott call because everything that we have known about the running back rotation since McDermott arrived and put together his staff is that running backs coach Kelly Skipper has been the one that has controlled it for the most part. Now I'm not saying that McDermott didn't walk over after that, that uh, cook drop and go, Hey, let's go with Latavius for a little bit here. I'm not ruling that out at all. But I just don't know for sure that McDermott did that because we have seen past examples of mistakes from these running backs when Kelly Skipper has been the guy that has controlled that rotation where similar things have happened from a rotation standpoint where they start going with a lot of snaps in a row for one guy. Think back to all the Zach Moss stuff. Like Devin Singletary taking over the backfield down the stretch in 2021. You want to know why that happened? Because they were getting inconsistent results from um, from their backups. And that a lot of that rotation falls on the decisions of the running backs coach. So that's got to be something that they look at. If... It was not McDermott making those calls 
to say, all right, Cook needs to sit out this series, this this upcoming series. And I think they need to have a conversation, a hard conversation with Kelly Skipper at, to go, okay, well, need to balance teaching lessons and when to teach them versus potentially hurting the team. So, you know, to be determined whose call that was, but that's how they've handled it in the past. And uh, I know the everyone is quick to blame McDermott with that. And he, like I said, he most certainly could have had a hand in it. But just to play devil's advocate, Kelly Skipper has controlled the rotation. Basically, uniformly since 2017. So, I guess we'll find out one day. All right, next up comes from Michael, who writes, Assuming McDermott comes back, is it safe to assume he's told to hire a defensive coordinator? I think he would do it either way, if I had to guess. Because it's a lot on his plate right now. I think he understands that. I think maybe he understands he's getting pulled in a lot of different directions. And maybe the thought processes he would have had in these end-of-game situations would have been a little bit... uh, he, He could have been a little bit more thoughtful through those decisions had he not had his his brain plugged into the defense and then also had to be the head coach. And even more so than that, I think he wants to have, he wants to have uh, a true defensive coordinator that he can rely on. But I also think the stakes of this season and the timing of the decision from Leslie Frazier also all played into it. Like they assembled their staff and McDermott probably thought like, okay, there's a great team this year, kind of learned the lesson from having a first time play caller in Ken Dorsey last year. Maybe they don't want to do that again in, in 2023 and in another big year like that. So that was probably part of the decision behind him being the defensive coordinator. So if I had to guess, I would think that they will appoint a defensive coordinator next year. And my money right now is on the linebackers coach, Bobby Babbage. And I know, you know, they, they lost Milano, but Terrell Bernard ascending to the type of player that he was, that he has been this season, getting some usable games out of Tyrell Dotson where he has not been usable in the past. I think those factors certainly help. And on top of that, Bobby Babich is, was also a very impressive guy um, when he was coaching the defensive backs and the safeties. He's universally loved within the building. He's uh, a young bright defensive mind. He's been with McDermott a long time, has a very similar coaching career track to what McDermott did in Philly. So I would not be surprised if Babbage is the defensive coordinator next year. That's that, that is my guess right now, but 
you know, subject to change because they do have some other guys like Eric Washington, um, like Holcomb, like, uh, uh, like, uh, John Butler. So they do have other pieces that they can go to, but you know, Babbage would be the one to me where it makes a bit more sense. All right. Next up, uh, Nate writes, would you move on from McDermott midseason and give Joe Brady a chance during the final six games? No, just because I do think he's had success and, you know, trusting Joe Brady after two games of being the off interim offensive coordinator, as good as they have been, probably setting yourself up for a disaster at that point. So. Um, I'll probably just say not quite there yet. I would not rule out Joe Brady being appointed the, uh, long-term offense coordinator should what we have seen over the last two games continue, uh, over these next five. Okay. Sean writes in, why on earth did McDermott choose to kneel and send the game into overtime instead of trying to get a game winning field goal, 20 seconds and two timeouts. If they didn't use it on the Eagles field goal, try is as we all know, more than enough time to get down the field, and into range. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Sean. I thought that was a horrible misstep by Sean McDermott and his and his in-game coaching. I am usually never in on the whole icing the kicker strategy. I just think it's a bit of a waste of time. But at the end of the day, I mean, the, the kicker is going to feel the pressure no matter what. It's not like an extra 60, 30 to 60 seconds is going to really change how much pressure they feel. They already feel it. Like if you got an advanced weather report to say that, hey, the weather's going to be much worse in a minute from now. Sure. Call a timeout. Better your odds. But that's. Probably not ever going to happen. So I'm with you 100%. I think the decision to try and ice the kicker late, never agree with that. Wasting a timeout, knowing that they could tie the game and that you would get the ball back. Another one where I'm like, yeah, probably not. I could, I could see... You know, when when they call the timeout on third down to get themselves prepared and just have a little bit more time to talk about things, I thought I was pretty okay with that timeout for McDermott. But the one before the field goal, knowing that they could effectively make it 31-31 and knowing that you could march it down the field if if uh, a couple of things go your right go your way and knowing that Tyler Bass has the leg strength to kick it from 60 if he needs to. I don't know. I that 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 decision really felt hollow to me. So and then kneeling on top of it. I mean heck, even if you have one timeout left, which they did. Not even trying to push the ball down the field out of fear that you might turn it over and the Eagles might win the game. That's effectively saying, okay, I trust my dynamo offense led by a quarterback 
that has amassed, well, not at that point, but 420 yards in this game. I trust that less than a 50-50 shot at the coin flip. They have a franchise quarterback in place who is making good decisions basically the entire game. He looked locked in, as locked in as I've seen him this season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The thing that I wrote about over at The Athletic, that was as vintage a Josh Allen performance as I have seen since really the early portion of 2022. That killer instinct on third downs, that guy on 19 third down attempts where the ball was in Allen's hand, the Bills converted on 13 of those. They averaged over eight yards per play on those that where they put the ball in Allen's hand. They had three touchdowns on third down. Eight of those conversions were third and six or more. So to have a timeout left with 20 seconds to go and to just sit on it, yikes, big time yikes. And I guarantee you, of all the things that Sean McDermott has probably thought about overnight, that's probably one that's sticking with him. Taking that time out when he did to try and ice the kicker. I think that's something that's, that's going to stick with him. His justification was that I was trying to end the game. But taking a time out to put more pressure on the kicker who's already feeling pressure? It's not it, man. It's not. They needed McDermott to be better at that moment, and he wasn't. And this is now two out of three games that he has made some miscalculations when the game has mattered most. So, of all the criticisms of McDermott that have happened over these last month, month and a half, I think the the late game decisions is a valid one. All right. Uh, next up, Mark, who writes in, how down was the locker room if you were able to see it after the game? It was a pissed off locker room. It was a dejected locker room. It really just depended on, on who it was. It was a relatively quiet one, as you would imagine. Some guys were slumped in their lockers. Other guys talking to the media were kind of ticked off about about the penalties. Ticked off about letting that game go away. Having a harsh realization about where they were in the entire process. Just a, a lot of range of emotions that you would expect. But yes, it was extremely quiet in there. 
Ben writes in, is Von Miller playing as badly as it seems? Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the film on this game just yet. I'm doing that tomorrow, Ben. But I did watch him on a few snaps and it just he just never got close. So yet again, Von Miller, who interestingly, they gave him some early down work early out of the game to try and get him a little bit more ramped up, but wound up going away from him as, as the game went down to the stretch. I just, the more this thing goes and the, the less time that remains where we don't see these tangible results or these tangible improvements, the more skeptical I grow that he is going to get back to that player this year. It could happen. He's a guy who is built different, but he's also a 33-year-old defensive end coming off his second torn ACL and trying to get his explosiveness and um, dynamic rushing ability back. And it's just not there. He's just not winning his one-on-ones. He's not getting close for the most part. So yeah, Von Miller is not playing well this season. He is playing below average, in my opinion. And below average, if you know, I, I do my all 22 grades each and every week. He doesn't qualify based on how many snaps he has taken so far. Or at least he, he didn't through the first 11 games. But if he did, he would be right near the bottom for his season-long grades. So that, that, uh, that should answer your question right there, Ben. Okay. Next up, Jim. And we've got time for a couple of more because McDermott talks at four and I can sense that my voice is worsening as we go. And I'm sure you can hear it too, but uh, alas, we charge forward. Jim writes in, how did the defense disappear after the first series in the second half? That is a great question. The Eagles got their run game going and rightfully so because the Bills run defense is their biggest weakness. We can think back to when they lost Daquan Jones. This has been something that I have been hammering since that point. Like, hey, teams are going to be able to run all over the Bills. They have to make some sort of move. And they did. They got Linval Joseph, but it's not an every down guy. They don't start him. They still start Jordan Phillips next to Ed Oliver. And when Jordan Phillips is on the field against the run, not great things. When Tim Settle is on the field against the run, he's usually getting pushed out of the way. That's That's been how he has played this season. Linval Joseph has played well. Ed Oliver has played well. And you could see after the first series, they started to match Oliver with Joseph a bit more. But then what happens when Joseph doesn't play? You've got Phillips with Oliver, Settle with Oliver, or Phillips with Settle, which is the worst possible scenario. So that's a big piece of it. I thought they worsened, particularly at safety down the stretch. thought Tyrell Dodson didn't really have a great game. But they got beat on the edge a few times. Notice AJ Epinesa, they were picking on him. And that's as good as he has been from a sack production season in his fourth year. One area that they have picked on Epinesa, multiple multiple teams, this is not just the Eagles, 
is getting around the edge on him because he doesn't have the best edge contain. Not like Floyd, not like Rousseau, not like Shaq Lawson. And that's why I, I think you don't see his snaps jump ahead of a lot of these guys and why he's still kind of third or fourth in the defensive end rotation. So that all plays a role. If you, if you struggle to stop the run up the middle, you struggle to contain the edge sometimes, and then you can't really check the scrambling quarterback, that's, I think, what led to a lot of some open receivers down the stretch and a lot more than, than what they saw in the first half. But that said, allowing five scoring drives out of their final six and a total of 30 points, allowing them to average eight yards per play is inexcusable. Josh Allen and that offense. Did they leave some points on the board? Yeah. 34 should be good enough. Even for as banged up as the Bills defense is. And I want to give them credit. They played their asses off in the first half. But allowing 30 points over the final six drives is just horrible. So this one falls on McDermott's defense. And it falls on them not being able to get themselves off the field. They forced one stop out of those final six. And again, they deserve credit for that one stop. One more, they win the game. I don't think it's much to ask to stop the Eagles from scoring once, once more, which would make their overall success rate over those six drives 67%. The Bills' defense down the stretch only needed a 33% success rate on drives to be able to win that game, and they couldn't do it. So this one falls on the defense. Josh Allen deserves... I mean, I know I know he threw that pick. Thought it was a good play by the, by the Eagles' uh, cornerback, or I'm sorry, the Eagles' defensive back. He doesn't deserve that that fault. He deserved uh, much more than what than what the Bills defense gave him down the stretch. All right, last question comes from Ben, who writes in: At what point do they part ways with Jordan Phillips based on his boneheaded penalties? I don't think it's going to be this year because they just they just need him too badly. I mean, he at least provides something for from a pass rushing perspective up the middle. It's not a great run defender, but if I had to guess, is I would think this is probably his last go around with the Bills. You never know, but I don't know. It just kind of seems stale at this point. He's a flawed player. Can do some really nice things sometimes. It's good for the locker room, everything like that. Horrible run defender. You're playing him at one technique like they are. Horrible run defender. So I don't think they'll move on this year to answer your question, Ben, but off season, I think we could see some legitimate changes at defensive tackle because Jordan Phillips is a free agent. Puna Ford's a free agent. Tim Settle's a free agent. Daquan Jones is a free agent. The only one that's, that's standing there is Ed Oliver. And I would tend to think that we see a lot of new pieces around him. All right. We hit the 40 minute mark. 
I am very excited about that, that my voice made it. Um, and I wanted to thank you all for listening and sending questions your way after what I'm sure was just an overall gut punch of a loss if you're a Bills fan, which I'm assuming many of you are. So the Bills have a bye week coming up. Sean McDermott's about to talk in about 15 minutes or so on Zoom. They get the week off. You get the week off. I get the week off. Everyone kind of gets a, a bit of time to refresh. And then we get to see exactly what this team is made of from that point forward. Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins need at least three, if not four. And if they don't, playoff less season awaits. All right, that's going to do it for me. My name is Joe Biscali. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this live room episode of the Buffalo Beat. We will catch you next week after the bye week. See you then.